Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. One of our favorite things to do on this podcast is to give leaders a microphone to talk about and describe their wheelhouse within their work, or one aspect of the church planting world that gets them naturally excited and they can't help but do or think about this topic. Now, if you've ever found yourself asking, where's my sweet spot in ministry? What's my wheelhouse? Congratulations, you just became best friends with this episode. Today we're going to be talking with Bruce Bentley, the lead planter of City on a Hill Church, way out in the suburbs. And we're going to be hearing from Bruce about what it looks like to discover your fit in ministry, or that sweet spot where you're firing on all cylinders and the work feels natural. Now, obviously, to be a church planner, you don't have to have a perfect niche or a wheelhouse. And if you're still new to this thing, let time run its course. But regardless of where you're at, Bruce's story and his advice are both instructive and beneficial. So let's tune in and see what he's got for us. It is gold. Now we're back on. Well, <laughs> I uh, I blame you for the technical difficulties. <laughs> In summary. Uh, well, we're here on another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project with lead pastor of City on a Hill in Rosemount, Minnesota, Bruce Bentley. That's me. That's Bruce. Uh, thanks for being here, Bruce. We're sure. Excited. This, is the, uh, this is the first interview that we've had with a suburban church planter. Excellent. So I'm glad very, you finally got around to it. Yes, very excited for That's that. Good. And it won't be the last. Uh, but to get us started, Bruce, why don't you just describe a little bit about who you are, and then we'll get into the church in a second. Okay. Uh, I am Bruce Bentley. I am a pastor of City on a Hill Church. Uh, we planted in, uh, I guess, technically the beginning was 2010. So we've been at it for about eight years. But previous to that, I started as a youth pastor in 1990. And I've been involved, at, well, this would be the fourth church I've been on staff at. Um, and not until... About 2007 or 2008, did we really start thinking about church planting, and uh, and it kind of kind of went on from there. Excellent. And what uh, what are some of the things that contributed to you thinking about church planting? How did that all happen? It was kind of a crazy journey leading up to planting. We'd never ever thought about the that that could be a reality for us. Everywhere I'd been uh, and everybody I'd talked to was negative on planting. It'd be crazy to do that. You're going to starve. Your children will go hungry, you know, penniless, all that stuff. And kind of the the general vibe attitude uh, among people in the church was, why would, I, why would I ever go do that when I am getting what I want here and now? Uh, that was pervasive. That was everywhere. So it, it kind of intimidated me. Uh, and I was up till that point, I was fairly comfortable where, where we were at and, and, uh, felt like that's where God wanted me, but that was beginning to change because of my age and age of my kids and getting sick of the, the retreats and the lock-ins and all that jazz. So, you know, some, sometimes God uses that too. <laughs> and, uh, the discussion within the uh, the district and with our church was, you know, are we ready to do another church plant? Uh, senior pastor asked me if I wanted to do it, so my initial reaction was no. Um, 
uh, and then you know came the pounding on the desk. Uh, I need to know: Are you going to do it or not? And uh, I'm just picturing Luther pounding the desk, saying, <laughs> "This is my body. This is my body." I'm just I just learned about this. So well, that's my visual right now. It, it, I'd never thought of that, <laughs> uh, but there there was pounding. <laughs> okay, and that began. Okay, well, the question was: Would we ever? Would we ever do that? Had a sabbatical break for three months, uh, spent some time praying and reading and discovering, went on a tour around the Midwest from Minnesota down to Texas and back, talking to different church planners, asking them if you had to do it over again, what would you do the same? And also, what would you never do again? What would you certainly quickly do differently? Uh, learned a lot about, uh, those guys, well, as much as I could in a brief period of time about those guys and, and what made their heart beat, what got them out of bed and, uh, really where they were going with that. So there was something that resonated with me that I didn't anticipate would resonate. Um, we talked and prayed about it more, uh, we being my family, my wife and I, and then, you know, processing the experience, presenting it to the church. Uh, I was getting more and more to the point where uh, if there's something I'm going to do for the rest of my life, what's it going to be? And being a part of a gospel movement that uh, really did honor Christ and saw people coming to Christ, uh, then that became more and more like the no-brainer. And then, well, maybe that's church planning is the avenue to do that. And even though I never thought that that'd be a possibility, all of a sudden, after a year of thinking that it was a possibility, so then that launched us into uh, you know talking with the leadership, putting together a, a group of people that would be willing to consider, or at least prayerfully uh, weigh the pros and cons of okay, what if we did do that. Uh, and that led to the actual, you know, launching out and planting of a new church. And so we got a few listeners who are kind of in the in-between where they, like you, have decided they want to plant a church and they haven't yet got to that launch date. So they're kind of in the in-between and they're preparing. Mm-hmm. So as you look back on that time in your life, what were some of the most helpful things that you were doing in order to prepare for what you did not know what was ahead with church planting? Yeah, so the the conversations I had during my sabbatical, which I had the time away from church ministry to have those conversations, definitely encourage that. If there's any way, and to get outside your comfort zone to talk to planners in different cultural contexts, different experience levels and backgrounds, uh, to see what they're doing, uh, what they're not doing, uh, to sit down and talk and pray, to have those conversations, that was huge. Because uh, I, all, the only thing I knew of was, well, negative, uh, really, or neutral, sort of. Uh, to be around those guys opened my eyes to a, a whole new reality. So anybody who's thinking about doing it, get out of what you're familiar with meet some new people, uh, couples, whoever, see what they're doing, have the conversations, learn from them. Uh, learn as easy as you can. <laughs> They're all, we, all have, we all have things that we learn the hard way. That's part of life and part of ministry. But there's a number of things I think we learned an easier way because of those conversations with urban planters, suburban, rural, um, 
there are some things about about church and about ministry and about the gospel that are transferable. Uh, there are other things, however, that aren't. Uh, so being a part of those conversations was, was huge. Uh, that, that, yeah, that formed us. Yeah. I, I think suburban ministry gets a bad rap often. So I'd like to hear from your perspective. What are some of the things that you just love about planting in the suburbs? <laughs> uh, well, I don't think first, that's a question I've ever asked you before. No. So first of all, the bad rap. So you're an urban guy, right? <laughs> well, I grew up a what? suburban boy. Okay. And now I'm an urban guy. So yeah, I've, yeah. I've seen both lenses, but I, I never hear from suburban guys some of the, the positives of planting in the suburbs. I, I'm just curious what the urban people are saying about us. <laughs> well, that that can't enter a microphone. Of course. It can't be recorded. Where's the attitude, the <laughs> angst? What's going on there? Uh, what's what's good about... Well, I mean, for us, we had all, we were already living in Rosemount. So we're already meeting people. Uh, we're already kind of in that, what, a suburban area. And you have you have more and more of a desire and a heart for people that you see every day. So there was never a th- we never had a thought of you know parachuting into some other community or context or whatever. Why would we do that? We care about these people, or we're growing in our desire to care for them at least. So why would we leave them to go somewhere else? So it just so happened that we were in that suburban area, so that made the most sense to have a heart for people to want to plant with those people. You know, that was a no brainer. Yeah. Um, there, you know, uh, being in a small town that's growing rapidly, that has a strong, deep history of uh, Roman Catholicism uh, and and Lutheranism, uh, but that's that's part of the town. Uh, it's rapidly changing, but you know, if you talk to townies, people who have been there for a while, uh, then you weren't anybody if you weren't Roman Catholic. So if people have lived there for a while, that attitude is still kind of there. Good, bad, whatever, it's there. Um, so the, the the more we got into church planting and having conversations with people that we didn't have, I didn't need to have as a youth pastor, uh, led me deeper into, okay, what's really going on here? <laughs> so I don't know if that, you know, every town has its unique, or neighborhood even, right, has its unique, quirky, sub contextual things that are going on that we didn't learn until we had to learn. There was a a set of assumptions uh, because of broad-based data, uh, statistical stuff and research, but not until you have to know do you really know because you're talking to people that live there that have been there for a while or people that are moving in and seeing how the community is changing. So rapid community change, so in some ways, that's a good thing, right? There's more people that are coming uh, in to live in town that aren't connected to a church anywhere. The The attitude that had been there is going away. There are more and more nuns of uh, any age group. It doesn't matter, as far as I can tell, it doesn't matter anymore if you're young or millennial or, or even if you're elderly, uh, the people that I, I come in contact with people across all the generations and they're, they're, ju- they're not, they're not negative. Is that a double negative? They're not negative about church planting per se. They just, they've never heard of it and they don't get why anybody would do it and they just don't care. 
that's more or less across the board. That's where we're at. And I don't know if that's the same or that's true with other either suburban or urban areas or neighborhoods. I don't know. So they're not, they're not against you unless they've got, uh, what baggage or they've got memories or they've got, you know, something negative has happened with them at a church. And then with some of those people, they'll, they're likely to, you know, if you get to know them, they'll tell you about it. Uh, and there's, there's that that's, that's everywhere too. But most people, they're not against you, but they're not for you either. So they might show up, but they're probably not. <laughs> so you could do the flyers, you could do the, you know, the mailer stuff, direct mail, whatever you could do all, you could have big fancy website stuff and eye candy and big programs. Uh, you might attract a few other church people, but you're not going to reach the people that we really want to reach the people who don't know Christ. We're not going to do that again. I don't know if that's everywhere. It's certainly in Rosemount. You're not going to reach them with the tried and true or the traditional tools in the toolbox. You got to find different tools uh, to be able to, to have a conversation, to see anybody come. Yeah. And that's a great segue. The, the idea of having a, a different tool in your toolbox to help reach people, because one of the main things I wanted to ask you about here on the podcast today was this idea of helping people find their ministry sweet spot. That's mm-hmm. something you and I have talked about a little bit, but I'd love to just have you elaborate on what you mean by that and mm-hmm. how to actually do that in uh, Rosemount. Yeah. Uh, finding and being aware of how God has put you together uh, in regard to your, your temperament, your personality, your skill set, the things you're just kind of good at doing because of experience or whatever, and what are you deeply passionate about, what gets you up in the morning. The first two things people are used to talking about because of work-related experiences, you name it. Uh, it's the third piece. What am I passionate about? That's what stumps people because it never mattered before. Uh, it, it And it certainly hasn't connected with them with a lot of people with them and church experience or or spiritual life vitality Um, so we're trying to open up eyes and minds and hearts to how those three things can come together so i have to learn from experience that i can't just talk about it in some general detached way i've got to be doing that in in real time that has to matter to me I've got to be learning, experiencing, growing, or else no one's going to go there if I'm not already there. So I discovered that the first two years of planting, I talked about Christ more to people that I didn't know or barely knew more than I ever did in 20 years of church youth pastor stuff, uh, which was awesome. And then as I just plain do that, whether I was ready for what I felt like I was good at it, it didn't matter. I just had to do it and experience it. Then you then begin to realize following some preset uh, or canned uh, approach to talking about your own faith or spiritual things in general did not work for me. And I've discovered it doesn't work for most of the people I know. So then what? does work well it's finding a a sweet spot that that works for me the way i'm wired so i had to find ways as i interact with people that are actually sustainable i can't just make this up i can't do things i don't want i'll quit that probably within a few weeks and then everybody else will too in the church and how in the world are we going to reach anybody if nobody's doing anything they really want to do uh so 
Part of that was becoming a church or a, or a police chaplain. Uh, also doing a little running club, which I haven't done as much uh, as we did at first because I'm getting old and slower. Nobody wants to run. It's more like stumbling with me instead of running. Uh, so that hasn't been as big of a deal. Uh, the chaplain thing is a, is more or less a perfect fit for me. It, it's a sweet spot uh, thing for me. It's it's a way I can use my skill set. Uh, it fits with my temperament. Cops are grateful that I want to show up in, in places and at times where they don't want to be there. They just want to get their job done and get out of there. And the fact that I'm willing to be there at any time of the day without pay to sit with a survivor next to a dead body. Are you kidding me? Who does that? It's almost creepy. Maybe they think I'm a creep. I, I haven't asked anybody straight out like that. Maybe I should. Do you want to ask me right now? Do you? <laughs> no, actually, I don't. I almost did. Yeah, I won't. Uh, that fits me. That gives me opportunities with survivors every once in a while. Not typically, but every once in a while. An ongoing conversation after... Uh, the, you know, the, the harrowing moments and the first initial wave of grief. Uh, but with cops before, during, and after uh, in a squad car, in a ride along, in a briefing session with a group of uh, officers, all that is great stuff and it can open the door and it has opened the door to all sorts of conversations. It's great stuff. That fits me. I want to keep doing that. Nobody has to tell me to do it. Uh, that's my sweet spot. Uh, we've got to have people... Well, within every church, but I believe especially for our church uh, and within a, maybe it's a suburban, more a suburban thing, I don't know, but especially in our area where being passionate about following Christ has never been important for a lot of people. They've said their sinner's prayer and they do the things that are uh, obligatory or uh, going through the motions sometimes even. Uh, but, uh, you know, that sounds all real negative and jaded. I'm really not. <laughs> they, it, We've got people, and I meet people all the time, who are content to be a Christian at, at the level that they feel is necessary. And to discover your passion takes you far beyond that, blows out the walls of, of what has been... Uh, typically important to a lot of people when it comes to their faith. So for us as a church and especially for our area, for our community, if we have more and more people that are passionate uh, and they're finding their sweet spot, they're sharing their faith, they're talking about their faith in ways that matter to them, then that becomes catchy. And we see that at least if people, at least I would say this, people don't accept Christ, they will be far more likely to accept what that passionate person is saying. Because we can tell, they can tell, it means something to them on a level that they don't have, and maybe they wish they did have. And that can lead to a whole whole other conversation uh, that's exciting stuff. So the more we have people that are given over to uh, finding their sweet spot, the more healthy we become. That's amazing. And, and describe a little bit more about how you discovered that police chaplaincy was a good fit for you mm-hmm. and how you might use that to help other people discover their sweet spot. I, I knew I, going into it, I knew I didn't know because <laughs> I did the same thing for 20 years. I knew as a planter, because I had been told 
and uh, it was starting to become reality. If we're going to reach people that are unchurched, that are either turned off to church or they don't have anything against it, they just don't see the point of it. If I'm going to have a church that reaches them, I've got to be doing that, which means I just have to find a way to do that. The pat things didn't work in the past. They weren't sustainable, didn't care about them. So what worked for me? So that kind of launched this process of, okay, what is it? And I've got to find a way to serve and to give of myself, to love my community, community, to meet people that I wouldn't normally meet. I'm not going to meet all 25,000 of them. I'm going to, I really want to have conversations with a few of them. So, okay. So what do I do? So what are the options? You walk down the street and hand out pamphlets or flyers uh, or uh, tracks or go door to door, whatever. I know people that have done that. And, and, and for some people that, it wasn't out of obligation that fit their sweet spot. They had a gift of evangelism. They love going door to door. Awesome. That's not my particular gift. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of evangelists, right? So it, it doesn't mean you get an out if it's not your gift. I've got to do the work of that, but I also recognize I got to do it in a way that works for me and that fits me if I'm going to continue to do it. So, Look for ways to do that. The, you know, the running club, that was something I was doing at, at the time regularly and to be around other people that weren't super serious, but like to go for a run uh, every weekend, uh, pull that off on a Saturday that fit, met a handful of people that wanted to do that. Uh, looked into and never thought about it up until that point of being a, a volunteer chaplain for the police department. Began looking into it, met a guy who was doing it. And that led to a conversation with uh, with our chief uh, and other officers, and then a, a, an initial interview. What you know? What do you? What do they require? Uh, what are the procedures? What are the steps that I have to go through to to be part of the of the of the department? Uh, and then began to see that yeah, that's something that's something I could do. Uh, uh, it's it's something they need, and and it kind of fits me, and I get to meet people. Uh, that live in or near the community and uh, especially with the city with the department people that i mean good people that care about the community they're not just punching the card they want to see good things happen it's not just about catching the bad guys uh and it's about seeing good things develop within the community and see that continue to happen so to be around people like that is is easy to do uh so and i enjoy doing that and to have um to have a, a valuable, uh, to have something valuable to give to them and to the city uh, just lends itself towards uh, sitting around the coffee shop or being in, in briefings that I can continue to have whatever conversation uh, that, that comes up. There's hard times too. There's, there's hard situations you have to be in. That's part of the, it's part of the position, but it's worth it. I'll do it. I'll get up at 3 a.m., to go uh, talk to somebody on a street corner as, as the cops are doing their job, but I'll do it because uh, I'm passionate about it and I see the value in it. That's where we got to have people in general that call themselves Christ followers to discover something like that. It's not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. Uh, and that's a whole new story for everybody. 
that's uh, that's both creative and, and really helpful to apply to just our own ministry lives. That's that's good. Uh, the the last question I kind of wanted to ask you about is is this idea of easy believism. It's a term I've heard you use before okay. in addressing uh, the two kind of surface idols that you've seen in in the, the suburban life, namely comfort and uh, busyness. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, that that the we might be too comfortable to take the kingdom of God seriously or our mm-hmm. schedules are actually the thing that matter the most. And, and I have believed, but that's that's all that's required of me, right? So yeah. describe a little bit about how you have been um, interacting with those two surface idols and how you're mm-hmm. preaching and your ministry and helping people get plugged into their ministry sweet spots mm-hmm. seeks to kind of unnerve some of these two idols. Yeah, the, the, the two have to go hand in, it has to go hand in hand and it has to be ongoing and it has to be communicated in different ways so you catch people's attention uh, without guilting or browbeating, uh, but creatively suggesting and proposing things. That's the challenge. It's cha- it's a challenge to be a, you know a, be a growing communicator and uh, in, in improving constantly in the way that you do that. So part of preaching is, and depending where the text uh, leads you, uh, part of it is comforting the afflicted. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of different ways we've been, we've been afflicted because of sin or our dysfunctions and the defu- uh, sinful dysfunctions of those around us. That's part of it. But a lot of it, I find, in our cultural context is doing the afflicting of the comfortable, you know, reversing that around. Uh, So the challenge of we just spent a year in the book of Mark and now we're kind of going back and and uh, highlighting some things about the kingdom, um, uh, some things that Jesus taught on that. Okay, now that we know Jesus rose from the dead, he lives. That does change everything. What are some specific things that that needs to change? So the challenge is going back and addressing some of those specific things that are afflicting, <laughs> uh, that hopefully cause us to think about, oh, that you know that should matter to me. So there, there are a number of things that we need to be, I think, as pastors, ministry leaders, teaching on. Finding creative ways to keep thinking and keep causing people to think of, oh yeah, that applies to me in deeper levels than I'm comfortable with. Uh, and that part of that is exposing the idols that we keep playing around with. Our heart keeps churning them out, right? So identifying those things. Uh, it's easy to point out uh, the big, I call the top, above the fold, you know, the newspaper folds, whatever, the, the big items that hit the paper above the fold, the big sins, you know, the dastardly evil type. Yeah, obviously those are bad. I don't want to do those, right? Uh, it's the the sins that don't hit the paper above the fold. It's the idolatry that goes on with us. And in particular, in suburban culture where we have mostly double income families, uh, we have disposable income. Uh, so then that leads us to spending money on all sorts of stuff and spending our time and our money in all sorts of ways that for believers, we really ought to think twice or three or four times about before we do those things. So our twin idols, like you said, really are comfort and busyness. And the reality of that sinking in really should sting. It should afflict our hearts 
when we think about, yeah, because life is relatively pretty easy. I've got the big house. I've got the the dog. I've got the yard. I've got the ability to spend money on a lot of things and do a lot of things, extracurricular with my kids or whatever. Just because you can do that doesn't mean you should do that. And as a follower of Christ, how are we challenged to take up our cross and follow? How are we challenged by a number of things that come to mind and what we looked at in the book of Mark? Uh, to take very seriously, what are we doing with these things, or are we, or uh, you know, are we following the, uh, a path of discipleship, uh, or is it an easy to believe kind of experience as a believer, where yeah, everybody else is doing a thousand things every week, so we'll just do it too, and you know, we can pay for it, so and we look like everybody else. And we don't want our kids to be socially awkward and weird uh, on and on. So we'll just kind of do what everybody else does. Well, no, we not, you know, there are some things that are good things, but when good things become the ultimate thing, right, then all we have is things and we quickly work around Christ. So the cost of discipleship is something we have to talk about frequently in ways that cause us to consider, oh, what am I doing with that? Uh, and as the spirit, I mean, it call it all comes down to how the spirit convicts all of us. Uh, all we can do as as communicators is is open the word of God and allow Him using His living and active word. Um, if we can speak it clearly and speak it boldly, uh, and allow the spirit to do His work, but we we just have to keep going back to those very acceptable idols that look so good and so neat. And, how, and when you, especially when you study the original Testament and you look at Israel entering in the promised land and there are reasons why uh, the other people groups that were there needed to get out. God knew how Israel would just give their hearts and their lives over to these idols. Well, you read that and you, you, you try to consider uh, what's going on in those ancient texts and context well that's so different right you know it's it's so the same everything the story changed well no the story doesn't change the story is the same we're the same people we're given over to idols we love them we crave them we'll sacrifice our kids for them uh, there's just no blood involved this time uh, but we'll we'll give up everything eagerly uh, quickly in order to gain stuff that has nothing to do with christ if you really stop and think about it one of the questions, I haven't asked anybody this for a while, uh, but especially early on in planting, uh, when I was talking to people, to parents especially, that when I talk about a church plant, yeah, well, we're starting off really small, and yeah, we don't have a whole lot of programs, and yeah, we don't look anything like every other large church because we can't do all that stuff, so we're not going to do it. We're not even going to try. So you, you quickly begin to see people go, oh, you know, they're, they're not looking at you anymore. And they're like, I, I would never do that. Because that nothing, you know, I don't want to go without. I want more of. But I would always lead people in the conversation towards, you know, just to stop and think about what is it that you want, in, typically in suburbia, right? We're talking to families and parents. What is it that you want for your kids more than anything else? And the question works whether they're believers or not. And I, I asked a question, no matter who it was, I'd ask a question. I get different responses. Uh, but if I, if I ask people just to stop and think, is it another soccer practice? Is it another trophy on the wall? 
Is it another jersey? Is it another, you know, sports related? Typically sports related. In Rosemont, sometimes it's, it's music related. Many times it is. Is it really another experience like that? Uh, and there's a long pause where people have the time to think, nah, I really don't, I no. That, that stuff may be good to a certain level. Kind of like what Paul says, you know, uh, physical training is good for some things, right? It has value, however he says it, uh, but it's not the thing. When you, when you challenge people to think about what is your the thing in your life for yourself and your kids, for the people that matter most to you, it always, it always goes, whether they're believers or not, always goes beyond those surfacey things to, uh, a variety of answers, character things. Um, I really want my kid to have, you know, deeper character value things. Well, even that response, nothing initially spiritual about it, but it gives us an opportunity to then, if they're willing to talk about what matters with those and why, why do you pick those character things? Then we kind of pursue that path in the conversation with believers Typically, it goes down to, I really want my kid to know God. Uh, that's on their agenda. They didn't realize it. And it's kind of scary with people who profess to be Christians. But when you talk about things that matter, how low it is on the actual list of priorities, right? Not until, okay, stop and actually think, oh, yeah, I guess it is God. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Because what is the route then you want to take as a parent to expose your kid, to talk about faith, to, I mean, what, what do you think you can do to get them there? And it's with so many conversations, the, the, the response goes around their, their responsibility as a parent or as an adult in the life. Well, it's about other input. Well, yeah, the, there's a place for that too, but what about your life with and around your child? And a lot of people don't even think about that. So anyway, that that was a long excursion there, but oh, that's fantastic. That's where that's where we have to keep going, not just the initial stages, but what asking people to think about what what really matters to you, for your spouse, for your kids, for where you're going. Uh, you know what? Usually that leads us to you know what that matters to me too, and for my kids. Uh, and then opens up doors to say, and here's what I've learned and discovered, or here's where I'm going with that, or or, or a challenge or whatever. Uh, it lead it almost always leads to something else that's deeper and you know more valuable to talk about. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. We want to give a special thanks and shout out to Hope Hymns. These guys are incredible. It's what you're hearing right now in your speakers and at the beginning of the episode. They they take old, old hymns and they slap some new melodies on them and make them sound fantastic. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your music. So please avail yourself of that opportunity. Hey, we've been loving hearing from you guys. Simply search the Midwest Church Planting Project on Twitter or Instagram, and you can drop us all your questions, your comments, and your snide remarks. We love it all. Thanks again for listening to the Midwest Church Planting Project. We'll see you back here the week after next. Christ, holy